There's this old story about these three Boy Scouts, and they came across their scoutmaster, and he said, boys, have you done a good deed today? And they said, yeah, absolutely. We've, today, just a little couple hours ago, we helped a little old lady cross the street. He said, well, there's three of you. Why did it take three of you to help one little old lady across the street? And they said, well, because she didn't want to go. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people think of as kindness. Kindness is, some, is a box you check off. It's some random act that you do to make yourself feel better, to make yourself look good. In fact, we hear that term, random acts of kindness. That's an often used term. There's even a day of the year. Random acts of kindness day, I believe, is February 17th. So if you don't like being kind, you've got a whole half a year to wait before you have to do something kind. But the truth is, Real kindness is not random. It's radical. Real kindness is not meaningless. It's life-transforming. And we're going to talk about when, when Paul in Galatians 5 lists kindness as one of the fruits of the Spirit, the things that are supposed to be present in the life of all believers, why does he list it alongside such things that are obviously important like love and peace and joy? Why kindness. We're going to talk about that this morning. Let's look first at our text, Luke 6, 35. These are the words of Jesus. He said, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Do good to your enemies. Jesus actually said that. Not only did He say it, He meant it. And I've heard Christian people try to write that off, try to explain that away and say, well, you know, he's sort of setting up a, an impossible standard so we'll know that we need grace. No, Jesus meant this is how my people are supposed to live. You come into my family. I save you by my grace. This is what I'm moving you toward to become the kind of person who is even kind to people who are hateful toward you. And notice he says, he says, lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. What he's saying is not you earn your place in the family by being kind. What he's saying is if you're a member of my family, this is how people will know. This is how you bear the family resemblance. Not because you go to church on a Sunday morning. And I know for a lot of us that's a big sacrifice just to get out of bed early on our one day off a week. But that's not the sign you're a part of God's family. And it's not that you follow some rules, although the commands of God still apply and your life is so much better if you follow them and if you don't. And not if you do certain rituals and not if you avoid certain vices. All of that's great. The kindness, he says here, kindness is what separates you from the rest of the world. And you might say, well, wait a second. I, I know that kindness happens all the time. I see it all the time around me. You know, what you see is niceness. Niceness is different than kindness, and I'll get into it in just a moment. Niceness, in fact, let me get into it now. Being nice means I'm doing something that I know is good because it's going to make me feel good about myself, and it's going to make you think well of me. Niceness is all about me because I want to be a nice guy. And most of us are pretty good at that. We've learned how to be nice. But kindness is something different. Kindness goes to the heart of saying, I'm putting myself in your shoes. If I were you, what would I need someone to do for me? What would I really need to help make my life better, to lead me to the place I need to go? Kindness is sacrificial. Kindness is costly. And kindness makes a difference in someone's life. A great example is in Acts chapter 16. There's this story of 
Paul and Silas and Paul the Apostle uh, was the very first person to ever get it in his mind to go on a missionary journey to take the gospel where it had never been before. So Paul and Silas are traveling through this city called Philippi. And they get arrested, and their, their crime was there was a slave girl who was possessed by a demon, and they healed this girl, and they restored her mind and her spirit, and her owners didn't like that. They didn't want her to be healed, and so they had Paul and Silas arrested. And not only were they arrested, when they got into the jail, they beat them with rods, so basically tied their wrists to a post and took a pole or a rod and just beat them across the back and the back of the legs with it until they were bloody and bruised. I mean, you can imagine how much that would hurt and how much you would need medical care at the end of that. But instead of rendering some kind of medical aid, at the end of that, the, the jailer took them and locked their wrists and ankles in stocks. So basically they're immobilized in an uncomfortable position, threw them in a cell and slammed the door shut and then went over and fell asleep. Now I ask you if that was you, if, if you had experienced what Paul and Silas had experienced and you could see this man sitting on a stool or a chair or maybe on the ground a few feet away snoring while you're there bleeding and bruised and in agony, what would your emotions be toward that man who was snoozing a few feet away? I, I'm, I think I know you well enough to say you'd be pretty angry at this guy. You'd be maybe saying some words. Some of you have that kind of personality where you're not going to leave it in. You're going to say what you're thinking. Maybe at the very least, you'd be hoping something bad happens to them. You know, Lord, send a spider or a scorpion to bite them or something. Acts 16 says Paul and Silas began to sing. They began to sing, no, not another one bites the dust. No, they sang hymns of praise to God. And as it neared midnight, they were still singing. And an earthquake hit. It was a very specialized earthquake. God can do this kind of thing. Suddenly the, the bonds on their hands and feet burst free or broke free. And the, the doors of the jail cell swung open. And that jailer woke up. And in that stupor, that kind of sleep-drunk state, he looks and all he sees is jail doors open and he knows as a Roman soldier that if you lose a prisoner, you serve the sentence that the prisoner was sentenced to serve. And so he drew his sword and was about to run himself through with it rather than face that kind of punishment, that kind of disgrace. And Paul and Silas, who were watching all of this, who could have, and I think any of us would have forgiven them, could have just said to themselves, hey, let nature take its course. I'm not killing the guy. No, Paul and Silas said, don't harm yourself. None of us have left. We're all still here. None of them left the cells. That act of kindness to someone who was nothing but an enemy saved that man's life. Not only did it save his life, it saved his soul. Because the very next thing that happens is that man rushes up to Paul and Silas, falls to his knees and says, what do I need to do to be saved? which, by the way, should be the result of our Christian lives. We should live lives that are so magnetic and so distinct and so incredibly kind to others that people will say, I want some of what you have. Paul and Silas shared the gospel with this jailer. And he took them to his house and bound up their wounds and, and nursed them. And then they had the opportunity to share that same story with the rest of the jailer's family. And they all got saved too. And in that place, they were baptized. And here's the great thing. Years later, Paul is in prison again. Paul couldn't stay out of prison for some reason. And he writes this letter to a church in Philippi. It's called the Letter to the Philippians. And out of all the books of the New Testament, it's the most joyful. Because the people, including that jailer and his family, including Lydia and her family and a few others, were, were, the, were the foundation of a church that brought joy to Paul's heart. 
And it started with an act of kindness. That's what I mean when I say kindness is radical. So let's look at what kindness looks like in the Bible. There's three things that we see in Scripture about kindness. One, we see that kindness displays the character of God. Kindness displays God's character. Most of the time when the word kindness is used in Scripture, it is actually referring to the way God treats us, not the way we treat each other. So when you're kind to someone, you're acting like God would. You're you're acting in a way that God would act. And there's three things we see about the kindness of God. Number one, God's kindness is compassionate. That means He looks to the lowest people, the people who most others ignore. God's kindness is compassionate. James 1.27, the Lord's own brother wrote these words. He said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Can we be real blunt right now and just say that if you've been in church a long time, you've pretty much learned how to keep yourself unstained from the world, or at least to appear unstained. You know, your buddy starts talking about that great movie he saw, and you're like, well, I only watch Billy Graham films. You learn to temper the bad language. You learn how to keep yourself at least to appear pure on the outside. We're not so good at that whole visiting the orphan and the widow thing, though, are we? And that's what it means to follow Christ. We need to have both. God cares about how we treat those at the bottom. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. God's, compassion, God's kindness is compassionate. It's also unconditional. God doesn't put a price on His grace. It's free. He doesn't expect anything in return. He wants something in return. He wants your soul. He wants you to love Him, but He doesn't, he doesn't demand it. God sends His reign on the just and the unjust. God died for everybody. Everybody. When Carrie and I were, well, some years ago when our kids were small, um, we had this invitation to this pastor's and pastor's wives retreat in San Antonio. And the person who invited us said, listen, this is for any pastor and his wife who want to go. It's free of charge. They'll put you up in a hotel on the Riverwalk and you'll just have a, a time to get away and, and be with other ministers and their spouses. And it's going to be fun. And we said, okay, we'll go. And I knew because I wasn't very old at that point, but I knew how life worked. I was like, there's no such thing as free. This is, there's going to be some catch. They're trying to recruit me for some movement or they want some kind of sales pitch they want me to support. But this was a stage in our lives when we couldn't afford a hotel on the Riverwalk. So we were like, okay, let's just, let's just put up with whatever that we have to put up with to get away for a little while. First night, they fed us this lavish banquet, really tasty food. Then they introduced a guest speaker. I said, okay, here it comes. But you know what? He just got up and spoke about ministry, and he told funny stories, and he was entertaining, and then they said goodnight, and we went back to our hotel rooms, and the next day, we woke up, and they gave us this great breakfast, and they said, okay, we're going to take the ladies, and they're going to get to go shop on the Riverwalk. You guys stay here, and I thought, okay, this is it. This is when it comes, right? They're going to hammer us now, but no, they said, you guys are all pastors. You've got common frustrations and common goals, and, and we want you to have, just have a time to share amongst yourselves and what's going on in your lives, and we did. We just sat and Hung out for a while. After lunch, the ladies came back. He said, tell you what, go take a nap if you want to or, or whatever you want to do, but here's, here's $50 each in cash. Here's 50 bucks. Go, go take your wife out on the town tonight. Really? You're handing me cash? Yeah. Okay. So we went out to a movie and ate. And the next day they fed us breakfast and the president of the convention stood up. And I'm like, this is it. This has got to be it. 
And he said, thank you all for coming. We appreciate what you do. Have a safe trip home. And I was almost disappointed. I mean, I was all, I was all geared up to be mad. And they gave us this wonderful week. He, he said, you know, the truth is, some generous person who wants to remain anonymous has donated a lot of money and just said, I want to bless pastors and their wives. And I wasn't used to unconditional kindness from human beings. None of us is. So we don't know what to do when we get it. God's kindness is always unconditional. God never says, hey, remember that time when I saved your bacon? Remember that time when I blessed you? What are you going to do for me? God never does that. Our kindness needs to be unconditional. We can't put a price on it. We can't keep reminding others of what we've done for them. And third, God's kindness is consistent. This is the part I think that's going to get most of us. It's the hardest because all of us can be kind sometimes. All of us can be kind to some people. If you're a mom, I bet you're the kindest person in the world to your kids most of the time. But what about the people who aren't so nice? What about other people's kids? What about the people who don't like you? What about the days when you just don't feel like being kind? See, God never has a bad day. Aren't you glad? Man, aren't you glad that God doesn't wake up and say, all right, I've had it with all you people. Our kindness must be consistent, even if we don't like someone, even if they don't like us. Jesus said, be kind even to your enemies. Be kind. doesn't mean you have to get over what they've done to you. It means choosing an act of kindness instead of an act of cruelty. Choosing not to get back at them. Choosing to treat them the way you wish they'd treat you consistently. Kindness displays the character of God, but secondly, kindness, according to Scripture, is basic Christianity. Kindness is what it means to follow Jesus. Matthew 25 is, has the parable of the sheep and the goats, one of Jesus' more famous parables. He talks about at the end of time, humanity is going to be separated into two camps, the sheep and the goats, and the sheep are those who will spend eternity in the presence of God the Father and enjoy His bounty, enjoy His peace and His joy and His eternal happiness. And the goats will be those who are separated from God for all eternity. And Jesus says, what is the difference between those two? It's not their attendance in church. It's not, it's not that they were able to overcome certain vices. It's not certain rituals they performed or certain doctrines they believed in. He says the difference between them is the sheep are the people who took a cup of cold water to someone who was thirsty, fed someone who was hungry, clothed the, someone who didn't have clothing, visited a person in prison, tended to someone who was sick. Jesus says, every time you do that for somebody, especially the least of my children, you've done it directly for me. I take it as a gift straight to me. In, this, in Proverbs, it says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. God pays you back. God loves it when we take, the call, take up the cause of those who are at the bottom of the totem pole. So listen, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I, if you know the Bible backwards and forwards, that's fantastic. If you're in church every time the doors are open, you know you're making me happy. If you're able to, to speak in, in ways that are always dignified and respectful and, and never harsh and profane, good for you. Keep up the good work. If you believe the doctrines of the Scriptures and you don't let anything move you from that post, that is wonderful. I salute you. But if you do all those things, but you're not kind, you're not a good Christian. And I hate to say this, but it's true. You may not even be saved. 
Because if you ask yourself, who in history was able to believe the doctrines of Scripture and know the Bible backwards and forwards and was in the temple every time the doors were opened and always was able to avoid vice and do what was right, but wasn't kind and actually hated Jesus? You're talking about the Pharisees. That's not the example we want to follow. We want to be like Christ, who cared about the least, who was approachable, I'm going to speak very bluntly for just a moment to different groups of people because I think we need to apply this very specifically. So if you are 18 or under, could you raise your hand? If you're 18 or under, okay. All right, you can lower it. Okay, I love you, but listen, people your age are the meanest people on earth. Let's just admit it. I remember, I remember being your age. I remember being a kid, and, and it's a jungle. I mean, it's awful. It is tough. Anybody who teaches young people knows. If you're a child of God, don't be that person. In fact, if you're a child of God, you need to counteract that. There are people all around you who are struggling because people are laughing at them and ridiculing them. You need to be the one that builds them up. There are people in your school who everyone else ignores. And you cannot be that way. You can't be the person who says, I don't have time for you because I, I have my little clique here that I care about. I don't have room for you in this because you'll dilute the fun. No, you invite them in. Don't be the one who is mean to the substitute teacher just because you can get away with it because she's going to be gone tomorrow. You be the one who's kind and respectful. You be the one who builds them up. And when's the last time you did something really kind for your mom or your dad? When's the last time you said, I'm going to make their life a little bit better today. That's the way we should be as, as young men and women of God. And, and us grown men in this room, if we're married, think about how we used to treat our wives, especially before the I do's. Remember when you'd hold the door open? Remember when you'd listen when she talked? Not just during commercials. Kindness. Ask yourself, what would make her feel good today? Ladies, you may not realize this, and your husband would never say this to you, but you hold the key more than any other human being on earth. You hold the key to his self-esteem and his self-worth, and you can build him up and make him feel like a hero, or you can tear him down and make him feel like a loser. And you'd rather be married to a hero, trust me, because you make him feel that way, he's going to act that way, and your life's going to be better if you need a self-interested reason to be different from all your female friends and actually build up your husband and treat him with kindness and try to make him feel good. He's going to thank you for it. For all of us, we've got people in our lives who we find it easy to treat with kindness, but we have people who we don't find it easy to treat with kindness. In fact, the very idea of treating them with kindness sounds like suicide. Why would I do that? They'll just take advantage of me. I know their type. And yet, and yet, Jesus was kind to those kinds of people. And how about us as a church? You know, I love, I love being the pastor of the downtown congregation. I think we have a unique opportunity right here in the center of town. Anybody, anytime somebody has a court date, anytime somebody has jury duty, anytime somebody has any other legal matter, they've got to come to City Hall or the courthouse, Anytime somebody goes to Red Brick Tavern or the coffee shop or the bakery or any of the places around here, they, they see our church. And I wonder what they think when they see it. Do they say, well, that's a big old church. 
I hope what they think is, I know people who go there, and those are the people I know I can count on when I'm down. I know the people who go there, and I know they make our city a better place to live. I know they care. And if I ever really needed something, I could go to them. When I was in seminary, one of our professors, I've shared this with you before, challenged us with this. He said, if all the churches closed their doors on the same day all the garbage men went on strike, who would the city miss first? Ask yourself that. We should be the kind of church that's so full of kindness, proactive kindness, that if we closed our doors, people would clamor for us to come back, even if they don't yet believe in our Savior because we change their lives for good that much. Kindness is basic Christianity. And finally, kindness can change someone's life. It's not a random act. It's a radical act that's transforming. Again, ask the Philippian jailer. Ask the congregation that was built around that man and his family. Ask Paul. Why? Ask yourself the question. Why was Paul and his friend Silas, why were they willing to be kind to a man who had just beaten them and locked them in stocks? Why were they willing to do this radical thing? And I think the answer is because Paul knew that God had been that kind to him and more. See, if you read Paul's letters, you'll hear him over and over again tell his own story. Four different times, I think, in the Bible, the story of Paul's conversion is told because Paul never wanted to forget, I was the worst of sinners. I hated God's church. I, I destroyed God's people. And Jesus came and grabbed me by the lapel and shook me and said, stop persecuting me, Paul. Jesus came into my life and saved me. And so I can't, I can't not be kind to people after what He has done for me. In fact, look back at the text at Jesus' words again that we started with. Luke 6.35, the last sentence of it says, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And I bet when you first read that, if, you were, if your mind was engaged, you probably thought, oh, He's talking about people outside the church who are still lost. He's kind to them. Yeah, He's talking about them, but guess what? He's talking about us too. We're the ungrateful. We're the wicked that Jesus looked down upon and said, I know what they need. I'm going to rescue them. If He's done that for us, why wouldn't we do that for others? It changes people's lives. Philip Yancey is my favorite Christian author, and he tells a story um, in one of his books. I think it's What's So Amazing About Grace, but I'm not sure about that. Anyway, for years, he was a member of a church, an inner city church in Chicago. And it was one of those um, blue, white-collar, kind of uh, high-educated churches uh, there in the inner city. Because even though it was a white-collar crowd, because they were in the inner city, they would get some odd people who would drop in from time to time. One day, one of those people who dropped in was a guy named Adolphus. Adolphus was this big guy, long dreadlocks, scary eyes, always wore army fatigues, and just looked mean. And, and he was just an intimidating guy. He just started coming to church. And he, he didn't necessarily know how to behave in church. He, he sometimes acted in disruptive ways. In fact, kind of a funny story about, about that was they had this, this period in their worship service every week. You can do this in a little church. You can't do it in a church this size. They called it prayers of the people, where at one point in the service, anyone who wanted could stand up and could call out a prayer request and whatever they said, the people of the congregation would say, Lord, hear our prayer. So someone would say, um, please pray for my son. He has a job interview tomorrow. I really hope he gets this job. 
Lord, hear our prayer. Please pray for my daughter. She's making some bad decisions and I'm afraid she's going to ruin her life. Lord, hear our prayer. Please pray for me. This week I have this, I get the results of a medical test and I hope it's a good report. Lord, hear our prayer. And one day Adolphus stood up in the, in the prayers of the people section and he said, Lord, I thank you for Whitney Houston and her amazing body. And you can just picture these people looking at each other and going, Lord, hear our prayer. <laughs> and, and nice people like that, they get real uncomfortable around people like the Dolphus. You know, they, they kind of want to say, hey, should we just sort of ignore him and hope he goes away? Because that's not mean, right? We're still being nice if we don't chase him away. Or maybe they'll say, you know, we don't want to scare people, so let's, let's ask him to go somewhere else. But at that church, here's what happened. A collection of men in that church just said, hey, let's, let's help this guy. And they got to know him. They didn't just tolerate him. They didn't just hand him a few bucks. They got to know him. And they found out that Adolphus is actually on medication, but lately he hadn't been taking it because he, he ran out of money. So they helped him get back on his medication. Adolphus was a different person when he was on his medicine. They talked to him a little further. They found out some things about his life. They helped him work through some issues. Eventually, Adolphus accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Later on, he got married right there in that church. Became a functioning part of that congregation. Why? Because people went beyond niceness to, to real kindness. Got down to the, to the root of what was wrong and helped. And let's just confess together that none of us is born that way. None of us just does that by nature. By nature, we're selfish. When we get to be adults, we know how to be nice. That's not the same. Jesus came and died for people who were nice on the outside and cruel on the inside. Nice on the outside and, and selfish on the inside. He died for us. Why? To change us. To make us who we were born to be. Remember we talked about last week, we were created to be good. He died to open up, not just a, a doorway so you could go to heaven when you die, but so that you could become the kind person who changes the lives of people all around you. Him dying was the most radical act of all. He was trading places. He was doing the kindest thing that's ever been done. He was truly getting into our shoes so that we could walk in His footsteps.